0: Google is bad on so many levels um, yep. but whichever browser you uh whichever um search engine you are using i will say this there are some things you can do within that search engine to increase your privacy first of all you should not be using autofill because when you're using autofill and it's coming up with those s- search suggestions even if you don't press enter that search engine is collecting what you're saying because that's how they're able to feed you those suggestions
1: Hey everyone, it's David Bombal back with a very special guest, Naomi. Welcome.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, we won't get into talking about cricket and rugby because you're originally from Australia. Is that right?
0: I am indeed. Yeah. Yeah,
1: we won't. We won't get into that. So, for all of my Australians or my Australian friends watching, we won't. We won't talk about rugby and, and cricket. We're going to talk about privacy in this interview. Naomi, why are you such an advocate for privacy? Because I'll I'll I'll, I'll start with this, you know, sort of point that a lot of people perhaps might make is. I'm not stealing, I'm not doing drugs, uh, I'm not doing anything illegal, so why would I care if I get tracked online?
0: I hear that a lot, and that's the main pushback I get. And that's the reason why so many people are very complacent about their privacy. But the fact is that, well, first of all, societal norms change, right? So what's yep. acceptable today might not be acceptable tomorrow. Regimes come and go, but your data is forever. So if your data is being collected, and I'm, I'll tell you now, everything that you're doing on the Internet, unless you're taking specific precautions to stop it being collected, it is being collected. It is being stored in a database. It has been housed by the NSA. It's also been stored in multiple servers, whatever companies you're, you're using. But all of that stuff is Consolidated by the government. It's searchable by basically their version of Google, which is called X Keyscore. So all of this stuff is easily searchable and it's all tagged and it's all sorted. And if in the future there's a regime that perhaps doesn't like someone who Is a privacy advocate doesn't like someone who uses cryptocurrency doesn't like someone who ties their shoes the wrong way right they could go back in history and just go through all of this data they've been collected so it's important that people preemptively stop their data being collected because we don't know how societal norms are going to change in the future we don't know what regime may come into power uh, that will have access to all of this data so it's important to be cautious and be aware uh, that things like that can happen. The other thing I would say is that, you know, people when they say, well, I don't break the law, right? It always makes me laugh because it makes me think like, well, you know, not all laws are good. And I say that with a little bit of caution, right? Because if you look back through history, We've had some pretty atrocious laws and actually yep. it's the civil disobedience is the people who have pushed back against these things that have allowed bad laws to change. Now, what happens when you have a society where everyone is forced to be 100 percent compliant? Well, no one would have ever tried marijuana and discovered that it's a really great treatment for people with epilepsy. It can really stop, uh, you know, the effects of chemotherapy um, hurting people, you know, where they have. Uh, awful nausea, Uh, we wouldn't have been able to discover those things without people actually trying this stuff. So 100% completely obedient society is actually not desirable if you want to keep pushing society forward, keep progressing. So just a couple of things right off the bat there that, you know, when people are saying, well, I'm not a criminal, I'm not doing anything. Um, you know, the other thing is that if you start using privacy-enhancing tools, you're helping to protect those who do have something to hide, and they're not yeah. always bad people. You can have civil rights lawyers, you can have people who work for NGOs, you can have uh, activists, whistleblowers, people who want to hold the government accountable or hold companies accountable. These people need their privacy, for them it's a matter of life and death, and if only those people are the ones who are doing all, using all of these tools to protect themselves, they can, it can make them pretty easy to spot. So. Actually, actually making these tools pervasive in society is a great step forward because it means that we're protecting the people who are putting their life on the line to protect us and to fight for our rights. So it's important to just embrace these tools, uh, just a matter of respect out of what they're doing as well.
1: That's interesting. I mean, it's I, I saw a video on your YouTube channel and I'll for everyone who's watching, please go and subscribe. Naomi's, I've linked it below, Naomi's YouTube channel. She's got fantastic content there. You did a presentation and Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember exactly. It was something about it. the graph was going like this, and then suddenly it spiked like crazy. Uh, was that interest in this, like, special messaging applications because of the what is happening in Ukraine? Is that right?
0: Yeah. So that was actually uh, a graph that shows Tor usage. Tor, okay. it stands for the Onion Router. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your viewers yep. are probably well-versed in that. If anyone isn't, it's basically a tool that allows you to hide your identity when you're browsing. It basically encrypts this package of data and bounces it around to all these different places before actually taking you to your search destination so that it hides who you are from where you are going. No single node knows both of those things. Uh, Tor usage in the Ukraine when they were invaded uh, by Russia went through the roof because suddenly people realized, oh goodness, there's hostile uh, entity that's just invaded. Uh, If I say things that are against this government perhaps my life is now going to be on the line you know now i'm considered a dissident whereas moments earlier i wasn't i was all compliant new people who who have come in and To them, I am a dissident, and so people are finally realizing the importance of privacy and taking uh, actions to protect their privacy. If you look at the graphs for signal usage in the in the area as well, also went through the roof. Suddenly, people are realizing: well, they don't want their communications to just be unencrypted and out there in the wild. They want to protect that so that only the recipient and uh, the sender actually can read those messages. So, when you're in a situation that is higher stakes, suddenly you think about these things. But the problem is. we can't always predict when these high-stakes situations will arise suddenly things can happen and we're not familiar with privacy tools we don't know how to use Tor. we don't know how to use signal or or any of these things we don't know what the best search engine to use is the best email and suddenly we're in this hostile environment things are moving very fast and we need to protect ourselves it's so important for people to familiarize themselves with these tools now and start to use them in their life so that when it actually becomes a life-or-death situation you know if that ever happens goodness heaven forbid. Bid. you are better prepared to handle it. Uh, it's all about your know, proactive privacy. And it doesn't mean that you need to throw out your devices and live in the woods and never connect to the internet. You know, some people will tell you, well, you can't ever achieve real privacy. So why should I bother? And they throw their hands yeah. up in the air. But the fact of the matter is you can do a tremendous amount to severely curtail the amount of data that you're sending out there that's accessible and collectible by people. You can make a huge difference just by making small changes in your life just by choosing a better search engines, choosing a better browser, using a good VPN, you're learning how to use tool, like different tools that are super easy can make a huge difference uh, in your privacy.
1: So let's get technical. I want to, you know, share less data with Google or the government or whatever. So let's start. I, I don't need, do you want to start with operating systems or should we start with browsers? Which one do you want to start with?
0: Cool. well, I'd, I'd, I'd first of all explain the principle of why um, there's such a blurry line between government and <laughs> companies okay, let's like go Google ahead, right then. now. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, so the, there's this thing called the third party doctrine. And okay. if you think about like how all of your data is collected, like how the government gets it, how these companies get like all of this stuff, and you think about well how is this system enabled well often we have to realize that it's our choices that are enabling it we're opting to use platforms and services like gmail that explicitly tell us in their privacy policies and their terms of conditions you know we're collecting your data and you're giving us permission to do whatever you want with it and uh, and we tick that box and we use it so already we understand that by our own volition we're handing over a lot of this data we can just opt out we could choose not to hand that over but the reason that the government is able to get that information and the reason why these companies are then able to sell that data to a tremendous amount of people it ends up on the dark web it ends up you know putting people in threatening situations uh is because once we hand over our data we're not technically considered to own that data anymore the third party doctrine says that if you give your a data to a third party you you don't own that you don't control that anymore so the government can they don't need to get a warrant and get it directly from you and get your permission or anything like that, they can just ask that company and the company can decide whether or not they want to hand over that data. They can decide to sell that data. There are so many things that can be done with our data uh, because of this really, really bad uh, principle. uh, And and that's a US
1: thing, is it? Sorry it's
0: a US thing, yeah. And but the problem is, is that a lot of things that happen in the US, it just carries over yeah. into other states. Like even in the EU, where they have, I think, good privacy laws like GDPR. If you actually look at how it's enforced, uh, I mean, for example, Google uh, gives all of the data. I think they is is over a thousand companies that they give the data to wow. uh, that they collect through their advertising mechanism. So even though they have like non-consensual data. Arrangements in the EU where you're not allowed to hand over data. Companies like Google are still doing this. They find workarounds and um, they technically classify it as well, we're not selling this data technically, but they're broadcasting it to thousands of companies. So it gets really important to start to be aware of how you're giving away your data. So to your question, I would start simple. I would start what are like tools we use in our everyday okay. life, you know, on whatever computer you're on. So I think email. That's like a cornerstone of our yeah. internet life. Maybe we'll start there.
1: Yeah, I was going to start with browsers, but let's start with email. Right, browsers. I browsers. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, um, <laughs> Let's start browsers. Okay, so I, I think your favorite is Chrome. Is that right? <laughs> Get out of here. I'm
0: leaving. I am done. Um, so Chrome is... One of the absolute worst offenders when it comes to privacy breaches. Yeah. Um, Edge is actually really bad too uh, yeah. when you're browsing and um, using Edge. Um, and so this is first of all, let's differentiate between search engines and browsers. Browsers are like the little you know apps that you open that yeah. are helping you know, absolutely actually populate this because I get a lot of comments when I'm I'm talking about these things and I'll be like, here are some good browsers and people say, what about search engine X and I'm like, yeah. No, no, they're different. So, um, so for browsers, I love Brave. And here's the reason why I love Braves. I also use you know those tracking, Yeah, Sorry, yeah you on. know those tracking links that you get, like, everywhere, for example? Yeah. If you if you go to Twitter and you're sharing a link, you can copy it from the URL. Looks like a normal tweet. As soon as you hit that share this tweet or copy link to tweet, if you look at what you're actually given, it has, like, well, here's your, your uh, URL. And then there's a slash and a question mark and, like, a billion digits that come yeah. after that. And so anyone that you now share that link with, they'll be immediately tracked back to you. They'll be linked to you. So tracking links are everywhere. Tracking links are also when you 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 click on a a page and suddenly you look at the bottom left-hand corner and all these little websites pop up like before it takes you to the page and like, what's happening there? It's It's called bounce tracking, where they're bouncing you through trackers, right? There are all of these ways that we're tracked and Brave does an incredible job with blocking those. Not only do they immediately strip out any identifiers from the URL itself that they know to be tracking identifiers but they'll also do things like debouncing debouncing is where instead of bouncing you through like all of these different sites the browser will learn well usually when we when the person starts from here a bunch of suspect things happen and they end up here let's learn over time that they always end up here and let's just bounce them directly there and cut out all these trackers the other thing they do is unlinkable bouncing so sometimes they can't figure out where the ultimate destination is but they'll go okay well at least if you have to be bounced through all these tracking links before you get to your destination let's have the user visit them in this throwaway container. That means that, you know, no profile can be built up over time about this person because this container is only used once. You go to this tracker, it's thrown away. You go to the next tracker, it's thrown away, you go to the next. So they're not learning anything about you by being bounced through these trackers. So they do tools like this. They're the most aggressive uh, and that's browser. That's default. Sorry, I just wanted to
1: ask you, sorry, that's done by default, is that right?
0: That is. And a lot of people, they'll say, well, Firefox is great, too. And Firefox is great. Uh, Firefox is great if you're someone who likes to tinker. If you like to download your own plugins, there are some great plugins like different Facebook containers available for Firefox. I always direct people directly to Brave because, first of all, everything, as you said, it comes default in the browser. So out of the box, I think it's the best privacy preserving browser, but also they just do a tremendous amount of great work, um, you know, pushing the envelope when it comes to uh, aggressively pursuing privacy for their users. So no other browser that I that I know of actually create tracking rules to help people uh, you know, fight off tracking links that specifically target companies. And what I mean by that is that most browsers will create rules that are universal and they'll say, well, here's a rule to stop this type of tracking link and all this. Brave says no. We know that Facebook in particular tracks people like this. We wouldn't yeah. put a normal company in this box, but we will do it to Facebook because we know that they're doing malicious things to their users. We know that Google tracks people specifically like this. When another company does this, it's it's okay, but we know that Google does this to track people, we're gonna put them in a box. So the fact that they go out of their way to actually name the bad players and create rules that target them, I think speaks a lot about yeah. them. Uh, I, I, I like that about them um so they're another tool i would say like even safari is a privacy preserving browser but if you're really interested in privacy i wouldn't choose Safari as my browser, because um, Apple does you know, send a yep. lot of information back uh, about you. But I will say that Apple does do work for people who aren't privacy focused and Apple's helping them regardless. <laughs> so Apple is doing things to help the average person who's not gonna actively seek privacy tools. If you are someone who actively seeks privacy tools, I would probably go with Brave or Firefox if you wanted to tinker some more.
1: So let's, I wanted, I, I just had an idea. How about like Naomi's, like, out of 10, how would you rate? So, I mean, let's play a game. Chrome, is that zero out of 10, where 10 is great oh, and zero is bad?
0: Yeah, Chrome's terrible. They don't. They, I think they're the only browser, um, large browser, that doesn't block third-party cookies now. And they keep oh, saying, wow. oh, we're going to do it. And then they keep pushing it back and pushing it back. They, Chrome is so bad for your privacy. It's atrocious.
1: So then, so I mean, zero. I just, zero, yeah. Uh, Edge?
0: I, I, listen I, we're gonna get if we're getting that granular I don't know whether we should do a thumbs up or a thumbs down okay let's do a case. thumbs
1: up or thumbs down let's do that up <laughs> oh, okay also rubbish yeah Safari maybe maybe like Safari's halfway pretty
0: good but like go for something better
1: and then uh, Firefox maybe if you can tinker yeah
0: yeah if you if you want to tinker
1: and then brave is your is your best yeah
0: yeah and there are other smaller ones there are things like vivaldi that's a browser that i sometimes use the problem like and there's opera the problem with some of the smaller browsers is that you need to have website compatibility, and sometimes yeah. when you're building a website, you're just going to say, okay, like 80, Google has 80% of the market share. I'm going I'm to make sure it's compatible for Google, and then maybe I'll add Firefox and Brave, and maybe Safari. But as you start to get to the smaller ones, they don't often check that it's compatible with a lot of these smaller ones. I haven't had too many issues like that, but that is something to keep in mind if you are using a smaller one. It's not a reason to not use them completely. I actually really like some of these other browsers. Uh, it's just something to. To keep in mind.
1: So here's a, here's a technical question. Isn't Brave built on Chrome? So isn't it vulnerable to the same stuff so as Chrome?
0: It's built on Chromium. So behind a browser, you have a browser engine, okay. which is basically the thing that's translating everything into the things that you see on the screen. And yes, Chromium overwhelmingly has a majority of the market share, and I think it is like upwards of 80 percent of all browsers are Chromium based. The reason why it's not as bad as um, I mean, Chrome, for example, is not Chromium. Uh, They're different things, but they are both managed by Google. But Chromium is an open source browser engine. So um, it's a big difference. Chrome obviously is not an open source browser. We don't know what they're doing there. We don't know what kind of malicious code they're plugging in, what kind of trackers and all of that. But Chromium, the only reason why I sometimes recommend people use browsers that don't use chromium is because it can be dangerous to allow one entity whether it's open source or not uh, to get too much of a market share because then people stop developing alternatives yeah and if a company has a lot of power of influence over an open source they may not be using that power and influence at the moment it may be a big open source project but it's possible that could be co-opted and then you won't really have any other choice because there won't be other options browser options out there so that's the only reason why I think that people should be mindful, maybe opt for other um, browser engines. But otherwise, uh, Chromium, I mean, it's, it's a really solid search um, uh, browser engine. And it's uh, heavily vetted, and a lot of people contributing to it. So I don't think that's a, a huge issue for me.
1: That's good. I mean, so for normal browsing, you would use uh, Brave, Would you Mm. use Tor? Uh,
0: So for normal browsing, I don't use Tor. And that's because I am not doing things that I'm particularly concerned about hiding. Now, the reason why I I say that is because there are trade-offs with using Tor. A lot of the products I'll talk about, there are really no discernible trade-offs. You could switch out different email providers and really see no difference. So you're just getting a whole lot of uh, privacy for not much um, of a sacrifice there. With Tor, I'm sacrificing speed tremendously. I'm also uh, sacrificing uh, depending on my settings in Tor. It might be stopping certain scripts on certain pages if I have those settings on. So it might make pages not load correctly. But the main thing is the speed that if you think about this package being like bounced around to a bunch of servers before it goes to the exit node, it does delay your search and it can get a little annoying. So day to day, I don't do that. I use a VPN and we can dive into why a VPN might be useful and what the why it's not a panacea, why people yeah. don't need to not think that that's a big like privacy cure. Yeah, for definitely everything. want to talk about
1: VPNs as well. Yeah. yeah, sorry, go on.
0: Yeah, but um, but short answer from after a very long winded answer uh, is no, I don't use Tor day to day, but I do use it. Uh, it is something that I'm very comfortable using and I enjoy and I'm very grateful for.
1: I heard you mention that you 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 prefer Tor the product like separate browser to using Tor with Brave because. What I like about Brave is it does have Tor built in, but is what's the disadvantages of using that versus like just downloading Tor itself and using that?
0: So I love Brave and I love that they come with that option. If yeah. you have a higher stakes situation, I would definitely go with the Tor browser just because it's a specialized product. They yeah. specifically designed that with Tor in mind. Brave has a lot of other things that they're giving you. Um, and so there are a lot of other features they're adding on and I love those features. Um, but if something is not designed with one particular use case, there's more room for security holes, all of that. I'm not saying that there are security holes, but I trust the Tor browser more than I would trust someone else's plugin for Tor or you know browser that's yeah. integrated it. So for if you are really serious about your privacy, go with the Tor browser. But the feature adding uh, Tor to Brave, I think, is a great way to put it in the hands of more people so more people can get comfortable with it. I think that's great. Just be aware of your own risk. Um, uh,
1: assessment, like where you fall. Yeah, so I, I I use Brave a lot, and what I like about with the Tor part is, um, I, I'm 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 with you on that. It's like it's nice when you just want to test it as if you uh, that you're not being tracked. Because if you go to like mm-hmm. YouTube or, or some other website, Google knows it's you. But if you if you open up that little window in Tor, then it's like private. So it's great for like quick tests. But um, I agree with you; it's like really slow. Um, that's a problem with Tor. But it, uh, you know, it, it, I think you've mentioned it. What do you want? Do you want um? I think a lot of humans go for ease, isn't it? It's it's much easier to use some of these products, but the problem with that is you, you're sacrificing privacy.
0: Yeah, and that's really hard trade-off. And yeah. it's funny when I ask for privacy tips from some of my friends, because some of my friends are really extreme, and I love yeah. that because then I find out what's at the end of the spectrum. Um, but the problem is that there's privacy fatigue. And if you tell someone who's just starting out, well, in order to have real privacy, you need to be wearing this tinfoil hat. But it needs to be this special grade of tinfoil. And you kind of (laughs) go on all these things they need to It's like you need to wipe your phone, then you need to wipe it again while you're standing on your head. People are just going to be like, okay, I I don't care about privacy anymore. I'm just going to keep using it. But if you give them very easy, simple steps, they can take incrementally. They're really helping their privacy. And they don't need to have robust privacy because not everyone's being targeted with the same tools. A lot of people will come at me and be like, well, this isn't going to protect me from Pegasus. It's like, right, but what (laughs) does protect you from Pegasus is that $25 million price point or billion dollar price point on, you know, using that zero day. If you're Average Joe, you know, no one's going to target you with that. So that's not in your threat model. It doesn't mean that it's off the table, That that could never happen. Of course it could. But you need to be weighing like convenience in your life. What's something that's sustainable for you as a privacy conscious person? What's something that's realistic? What's something like a level of privacy you can maintain? And that's critical because privacy fatigue is real. And I encourage you to figure out a level that is sustainable for you, not to feel like you have to go 100%, like some of my friends out there, that's great that they wanna do that. And it's great that they have the, um, the discipline to maintain that. It's not for the average person though. And I don't want people to feel like they're not getting an improvement in their privacy because they're not airtight. Because at the end of the day, nothing is actually airtight.
1: No, that's a good point. No, that's a good point. I mean, if, if a government wants to come after you and they've got enough money, it's gonna be very, very difficult to, to hide. Um, Yeah. It's a really good point. Okay, search, let's get to uh, search engines. So again, I'm gonna make you upset. Your favorite is Google. Is that right?
0: (laughs) Ah, So I, Google is bad on so many, Levels, Um, But whichever browser you, uh, whichever um, search engine you are using, I will say this. There are some things you can do within that search engine to increase your privacy. First of all, you should not be using autofill because when you're using autofill and it's coming up with those search suggestions, even if you don't press enter, that search engine is collecting what you're saying because that's how they're able to feed you those suggestions and they're storing that. Google is a huge offender of that. So um, don't, don't be using autofill when you do these things. My go-to is Brave. And now everyone's like, but Naomi, that's a browser. And you said browsers and search engines are different. They are. Brave used to just be a browser. Now Brave is also a search engine. The reason why I like them, it's for two reasons, uh, privacy focused and neutral. So if you, let's unpack what it means to be neutral. If you go to Google, Google will show you search results according to what they prioritize. So let's say that they decide that Naomi Brockwell is a terrible person. You know, they could earmark any notes about the like uh, um, searches about Naomi Brockwell and say well, prioritize these ones. The ones that say you yeah. know Naomi Brockwell is a scammer, Naomi Brockwell is a Australian in the worst sense of the word, <laughs> like whatever they want to say. Um, or if they really like me, they could say well Naomi Brockwell is flawless she is a privacy goddess like whatever but what you just know that whatever you're searching Google is filtering that according yeah. to their algorithm according to what they think it's information you shouldn't shouldn't get I take a lot of issue with that I don't want someone deciding for me what's truth and what's not I want to see everything out there and decide for myself because I think that I'm a rational human being who has the capacity to do that and I think most people do I used to recommend DuckDuckGo as a search engine of cho- yeah. choice yeah. But then DuckDuckGo started to filter results in this way DuckDuckGo also had the privacy and the neutrality thing going for for them, now they no longer have the neutrality They announced uh, a couple of months ago that they would start to sort uh, to get rid of disinformation. But I'm sorry, I don't think that they're the arbiters of truth. I don't think that they even have the resources to determine what's true and what's not. So I'm not going to trust a sorting algorithm that prioritizes certain content, you know, according to their ideas of, of truth. So I now use Brave. Brave is both a meta search engine and a pure search engine. What that means is a pure search engine is one where the the search engine has its own web crawlers that go out and index everything and finds all of the sites. Uh, meta search engine is one that basically pulls results from someone else. So they will use their own bots to index things, show you results based on that. But when they feel like the results aren't good enough, then they will also pull results. But they tell you what percentage of the results are pulled from somewhere else. So there will actually be like a little marker in your your brave search that says, you know, this is fi- 10% from Bing because they had better images or whatever. So it just is, they're very transparent with that stuff, and I really appreciate that. Um, the reason why meta search engines aren't always the answer, first of all, you're still getting the filter from yeah. wherever they're pulling. Um, so there's another search engine called Startpage. It is yep. a meta search engine. Uh, I, actually, I actually really like Startpage. They are a privacy-focused page. And the whole shtick is we allow you to search Google privately. So they're pulling everything from Google. You still get all of the you know, filtering that Google does. But let's say, for example, I'm on a different search engine and I'm looking for something obscure, no results come up. I'm like, well, Google would probably find this for me, but I don't want to go to Google because it's collecting all my data. It's yeah. not a private tool. I can use something like Startpage, get the Google search results, uh, but I can access that privately. And what um, Startpage does is sometimes they like, archive it so you don't even have to see it directly. Um, so there are lots of different tools. Uh, that they use there. So I like them as a proxy when Brave doesn't suit. But honestly, 90% of the time, at least, uh, Brave suits me fine.
1: It's interesting because DuckDuckGo was always the preferred choice, mm-hmm. it seemed. Wasn't there yeah. something recently where they there was a big hoo-ha on Twitter where they... Microsoft ads, or sorry, Microsoft trackers were getting allowed through or something?
0: Yeah, that was complicated. And I have to admit, I don't know, I don't understand the details. But I did see a conversation with the CEO pushing back against people's complaints, saying it's all a little overblown. Uh, We're basically saying that, you know, there are certain instances where we have to use these trackers from Microsoft. People were saying, well, you know, see, they're compromised because there are big corporate interests involved with them. And he was saying, well, no, it's not really how it worked. But to be honest, Honest, I I, I'm I'm not even thinking about DuckDuckGo anymore. It's not in my privacy toolbox anymore because when they started the filtering, that was such a foundational pillar of why people liked them because they really pushed this neutrality perspective. That when they decided to backtrack on that, it just made me not trust them. So I I just. I just can't. I just can't trust the narrative anymore from them. And maybe they're still doing good stuff, but I just. I just steer clear of them. I
1: think that's a really good point that you raised there. It's. Um. It's not only the stuff. It's not only the tracking, is it? It's. It's like they filtering the world that you see, and that's a really yeah. good point. Um, Yeah, so I mean, that's interesting because I've always used DuckDuckGo as my sort of like privacy thing. But um, I see that Brave, so Brave is both a browser and a search engine. I saw that by default, they use their own search engine, you have to change it Mm -hmm. to someone else. Um, But I I think you've also raised the point, the problem often is with when you go to Google, you get better results sometimes than you do with some of these other search engines. And that's where you do start pages, all right?
0: Yeah, I mean, Google has such an astronomical amount of resources. If you look yeah. at the resources Brave has, yeah. they could perhaps argue that they have 1% of the uh, browser share on the internet which seems big but it's a drop in the bucket when you compare that to chrome for example so i think it was first quarter of this year google made 54 billion dollars just from advertising and collecting data about people i think it was like 60 something billion dollars just from q1 of this year they have astronomical resources at their disposal so yes they can have great trackers that i mean um spiders that go out there and index things um so their results can find these pages that other sites, other search engines just haven't indexed yet. So Startpage is a great tool for getting access to those without the privacy invasion. Uh, but most sites that you visit will be indexed pretty well by by most search engines, and, and Brave does a great do- job most of the time, I found.
1: That's great. I mean, that's great advice. So what I also like about Brave um, is if I wanted to get like a someone, let's say uh, my grandmother an example, or someone who's not that tech savvy, it's not that difficult. Uh, Brave is, is very simple compared to like Tor. Trying to get someone to use Tor is, 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 a, is a bigger hurdle. So I, I like the way that okay. you you like saying don't sacrifice too much because then someone's not going to implement privacy. Uh, so yeah. Brave is your choice for browser. Brave is your choice for um, search engine. What a, we, 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 You were going to say email. And I think you're I think you quoted like Edward Snowden saying that he he doesn't use email is is that correct something along those lines Yeah
0: yeah the first thing i would say about email is understand that it is an inherently insecure protocol Yeah and so if you are sending sensitive information if it's really sensitive i would think twice about sending it via email at all i would use an end-to-end encrypted messaging app like signal for example um, but if i am using email You have to realize if you're using Gmail, which most people do, um, or you're using Outlook, all of the contents of your email are visible to Google or to Microsoft. They're completely stored in the clear. They're accessible to people who work at these companies. And not only that, Google has been found in the past to have you know, used data and, and made it available from your private email that you think is private, made it available to third parties. So the fact that all of this, what we think of private communication is just out there for people to collect, it's, and that's a huge step that you can take if you switch to a private one. Now, what does a private one entail? Well, for example, there are end-to-end encrypted email providers, but the caveat is that, for example, let's say I'm using Tutanota, or let's say I'm using uh, ProtonMail, for example. We'll go with that. And I send an email to Bob, and he's using Gmail. Sure, I might be using an email that says that it's privacy preserving. I think I'm good. It's literally going to their email yeah, <laughs> Gmail exactly. account. So my email is still visible and stored in the Google servers and accessible. So if you want actually end-to-end encrypted emails, You need to be on ProtonMail and sending to ProtonMail, for example. Or you need to be on Tutanota and sending to Tutanota. They're the two email providers that I would recommend. Uh, I use both of them. I like both of them. There are different trade-offs and setup for why you might choose one over the other. Like, for example, Tutanota, uh, I can't sign up for an account using a VPN, which means that when I first sign up for an account, I go to a public Wi-Fi. But again, you've got to be careful with that. Do you trust the public Wi-Fi? Do you think that someone is malicious on there, intercepting stuff. But the problem with proton mail is that you can't set it up without a phone number. So there are two different oh, trade-offs. Wow. Of course, you can buy a. I, I have. I have many pro, uh, phone numbers. Um, I have many throwaway phone numbers. Uh, I often use these when I sign up for accounts. It's very easy in the United States to get an anonymous an anonymous SIM card. You just yep. go into a store and you buy a prepaid SIM. It's as simple as that. So, um, and both of those problems are not. Insurmountable, uh, but both are, you know, worth weighing when you're choosing which one to use, and also there's the network effect. Can you convince any of your friends to get That's Proton Mail or Tutor Mail, Tutor Nota? And uh, it's important to find one that you think will have the most likelihood of other people using it as well.
1: So I mean, if I, I think the Proton Mail is the one I hear the most about. Is that like a good one to start with, perhaps?
0: Well, the reason why Proton Mail has some perks of a Tutor Nota, and it has been a few months since I've looked into this, so I'm not sure whether Tutor Nota has updated this. But Proton Mail also enables you that it doesn't have to necessarily be Proton Mail in order for it to be and to end you can also, if uh, if it notices that it has your um, you know PGP key um, in there, then it will encrypt it with that person's key that you're sending it to. Okay. So it will look for that. And two to know the last time I checked doesn't. So that's a reason why I like ProtonMail. But as I said, I like both of them for different reasons.
1: But if I get a VPN, I'm safe, aren't I? VPNs like, solve all my problems, right?
0: Well, here's the thing. And it actually, it's a good caveat, a good um, segue going from ProtonMail into okay. VPNs. So a lot of people will say Proton Mail's compromised because there was a climate activist in France and they got access to all of his ProtonMail stuff. And it's so completely false. Let's talk about what actually happened there. OK. So ProtonMail, Proton, the company which runs ProtonVPN, ProtonMail, is based in Switzerland. And in Switzerland, there are no rules in from the country saying that um the government or someone can't compel you to log ip addresses for email so what happened in this situation was france told switzerland listen this is a person that we want to catch. They use ProtonMail. We need their IP address. ProtonMail's policy at the time was we do not log IP addresses. So they did not have that information. They could not hand it over. So then France said, "Okay, Switzerland, we need you to compel ProtonMail to start logging this person's IP address. But ProtonMail changed their terms of service. And the Swiss government—they didn't have to comply, but they looked at it and said, "This is a big enough case that we agree and we will compel Proton Mail." Now, be aware that any company would be compelled. If anyone gets compelled by the government to do something, they have to do it, right? Yeah, so it doesn't problem, matter yeah. which email provider. Yeah. But the thing is, so and second of all, um, no content was even provided. It was just their IP address. So that's the only thing that was revealed. The content was still end-to-end encrypted. Proton Mail could not get access to it and has not gotten access to it and will not be able to get access to it so that's a big thing to keep in mind but here's the thing swiss laws around vpns are really great so when i'm looking for a vpn provider ones based in switzerland are actually great here's the thing if that person had used proton vpn as well as using ProtonMail, their IP address never would have been revealed. And that's because Swiss law says that the government cannot compel a company to a VPN company to log uh, someone's IP yeah. address. Okay. So it's it's great. Now, when you're choosing a VPN, a lot of people say, well, take jurisdiction with a grain of salt because the long arm of the US law reaches far and wide and you have all of these data sharing treaties and all of this. And I agree with that, exactly. All of these arrangements. While I agree with that, it does seem that, and this is based on Proton Mail doing a lot of work. Uh, sorry, Proton VPN, like uh, f- doing a lot of work fighting government orders, and Proton Mail doing a lot of work fighting orders. It seems that the laws in Switzerland are pretty great for VPNs, and so based on that, and based on the company's own reputation, that's how I'd make my decision about which VPN uh, to use or which email and uh, all of that. So when it comes to VPN, basically you want one that. Has a no logging policy. You want one that collects as little data as possible about you, preferably in a good jurisdiction like Switzerland. And it has to be using very specific encryption standards. And I always send people to the Freedom of the Press Foundation for these. They have a great article that says use these standards for the handshake, for the private key encryption, all of these different things. Um, And if they deviate from that, they have to have a really good reason. And that's because when it comes to encryption, the tried and true methods are the ones that have been attacked the most and have shown the robustness um, the best. So if they're using something experimental, they've got to have a reason. And are they technically savvy Enough to implement that correctly and so it, it's just a big question when you're choosing VPNs I actually stay away from like I get I get affiliate requests all the time all the from time
1: yeah.
0: From, oh my Sponsor God. Us.
1: Yeah, yeah
0: yeah, they're always yeah. VPN providers too yeah. and I always stay away from them because um, I want people to know that like when I suggest a VPN it's because they I really like them I, I they're not sponsored and I know that different you know channels do different things I'm that's totally Fine. I think that for me, when I get companies reaching out to me, that's always a red flag for me. I don't know why. Maybe that makes me silly. I just it just makes me skeptical of them because if I'm hearing their name because so many people have been paid to talk about them, actually it makes me trust them less and it makes me yeah. scrutinise them more. Um, I reached out to um, uh, the Freedom of the Press Foundation as to why they didn't include Nord in their list of. Um, a company that hit, hit all their prerequisites. They did hit all the prerequisites, but there were like some strange things they cited about a weird security breach. And then when they had audits come in, they were auditing a part of it that really wasn't to do with security. It was this other part. It was just a lot of weird things that was enough for them to not add them to the list. So all of this stuff gets very nuanced. I would dig into the details, do research yourself. But I think that um, Proton VPN is a great one because it's based in Switzerland, it's also what Michael Basil recommends. He's one of my favorite security experts. Uh, if he's promoting something, I always take a good look at that because he just has yeah great advice, especially for extreme privacy people.
1: So that's great. I mean, it's, um I'll say this, this video is sponsored by no one. So this
0: video is sponsored by <laughs> Snowden. Uh... That's
1: right, I like that. Oh, there, there we go. Yeah, we should talk about him as well because uh, you've interviewed him. Okay, so browser, Brave, search engine, Brave, uh, email, Probably Proton Mail or was it Tutanota that you mentioned? Tutanota, yeah. And then your favorite, um, and this is just like your opinion. So I mean, it's it, whatever you say, it, it, it's fine. Proton VPN would be a good one. I think the the problem is there's so many there's so many options that if you don't have if 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 you don't have the time or you know the you don't want to go and like research and research and research. It's so much easier if you just give us your opinion because you you're into this. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, you wanna say anything else about VPNs or should we talk about messaging apps?
0: Well, one thing I will say about VPNs is keep in mind that it's not, uh, the reason why you would use a VPN. A lot of people will use it be like, well, I'm protected, all my activities protected. It's not. The VPN provider will see your activity, right? They're not gonna see granularly what you're doing on a site, but they will see the base URL that you're going to. Um, so you don't think that your privacy is secure and they get subpoenaed all the time. Again, if it's in the wrong country, it's going to be trivially easy for a government to be able to get those records um, and a lot of VPN cell data as well. So make sure you, you wow. find a good one. Right. Um, so it's not don't don't be relying on that as like a, a privacy pr- privacy tool. Why a VPN is helpful is because every website you're going to is collecting your IP address, is collecting all this information about you, and using a VPN can shield you from that. So for example, I don't know what trackers. Great shoes for naomi.com have on their website <laughs> but i do know that if i go to their website there's a possibility they could be scraping all kinds of data yeah. about like me specifically where i am including ip address whereas if i'm using a vpn and i trust proton vpn more than i trust great shoes for naomi.com then i would rather you know put my eggs in the proton vpn basket a lot of people will say well it's better that it's you know you don't trust one thing it's like no actually it's 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 Worse if you don't trust one thing, because you're spreading that information across all these websites, and it only takes one of them to take that and sell it and proliferate it. So it's a great tool for protecting your IP address from websites, um, and it's a great tool for protecting your activity from your ISP. I trust my VPN provider a lot more than I trust my internet service provider, because internet service providers have been shown again and again to just be selling data (laughs) about their uses, right? About like their activity, and obviously they know what your IP address is. With the VPN, you're shielding that and you're placing this VPN as this buffer between you. So I think it's a great tool. I don't trust internet service providers most of the time. And so I, I think that it's smart to try to add layers of privacy to protect where you can.
1: I mean, in the UK, there's this law where the, um, the government is basically compelling all ISPs to track or keep keep a log of every website you've been to. It's crazy.
0: Well, the UK has some of the worst privacy laws. Like Terrible. they have what's called like like complete dragnet capture of everything, right? Yep. So it means that everything, they have these data centers where the internet uh, uh, cables leave and enter the, the UK. They have these data collection sites that collect every single thing that passes through any server in the UK, which is crazy. I think it's called Tempura is the name of this project. Like, okay. where, Whereas in the United States, they have to go through, jump through all these hoops and go through all these roundabout ways to pretend they're not collecting your data. They are. But <laughs> they're like at least pretending in the uk they don't even have that um oh. pretense they're like yeah we're dragnet capturing everything and temporary, and obviously through the five eyes program the united states government gets access to all of that so i would be aware of using things that are based in the uk as well but just something to keep in mind
1: so would you use a vpn like permanently do you have that on all the time or is it only when you go to like an internet cafe or someplace
0: so i use it permanently um, okay. There are some websites that don't like VPNs. Yeah. Uh, the reason why they're able to see that you're using a VPN is because often you'll have one VPN, or one IP address and 100,000 people <laughs> coming yeah. from it. So um, sites will often just, you know, um, shut down access to that when they notice that. There are services, I believe it's called Peer, which enables you to buy a dedicated IP address. Again, I wouldn't use that for all of my searches because you would be undoing your privacy and yeah. creating all that stuff within this one IP address again. Um, but occasionally when there's a website that doesn't allow a VPN, you could switch it out for something like like that. Uh, it, that can be helpful. But a lot of people, they'll put VPNs on their their routers. Um, they'll put like, there are all different things that you can do. I think if you're just getting into this, just getting familiar with using a VPN on your phone and on your computer is a great first step.
1: So let's talk about like, um I, I, I could keep you here for hours, but um just to I don't want to I don't wanna I don't want to make it too long. Um messaging systems or or applications, you I think you you recommend don't using um SMSs and you definitely recommend using Facebook Messenger. So I, I keep oh I, I, I keep joking. I keep joking. Oh you're
0: killing me. Every time you say <laughs> it I I'm die just a winding you insane. up you
1: know that and <laughs> I I know you hate it. So tell tell us tell tell everyone why SMSs are bad, why Facebook Messenger is terrible and what you recommended is cuz i think mm-hmm. when i when i heard you talk about this it, it's surprising cuz a lot of people would recommend one app that you actually don't recommend
0: mm hmm So don't use SMS. It's completely open. Your yeah. texts are not only easily interceptable by people, by hackers, all kinds of ways that they could be intercepted. Um, SMS, you know, the company, the um, your telecom provider can also get access to those messages. It's just it's, it's completely insecure. So don't use SMS at all. Now, there are a bunch of apps that promote themselves as being privacy focused. Yeah. I will start off with the one that I would recommend. I would recommend Signal. I think that it is the best app for secure messaging. It's all end-to-end encrypted. If you look at how they like right down to the way they handle stickers and GIFs and all of that, it's all privacy preserving. They go out of their way to not collect, um, uh, you know, to collect as little metadata as possible about anything. Uh, they're just a really robust tool. It's also great for group chats. I'm in a lot of chats that handle lots of participants. Uh, it's also great for um, like video calls, encrypted voice and video calling. So lots of uh, functionality and I found that it I actually prefer it to a lot of the messaging apps just in terms of usability. I've actually found that it's great. So when I've pushed my friends onto it or family onto it, they've enjoyed it. They haven't been like, oh, this is an annoying thing that you're forcing me to do. They've actually been like, oh, I actually like this. You know, I can do individual responses with all these emojis to all these things. There's a lot of things they can do in there. Um, And so they like Signal. And I just I really trust it. The people, a fun backstory, right? because uh a lot of people like whatsapp um now let me give you a a little history of how signal was created there was a guy called brian acton who's a awesome privacy advocate and he created uh whatsapp he basically he turned on encrypted messaging using the whisper systems protocol for a billion people that's how many people were using whatsapp and he decided i'm going to end to end encrypt this by default awesome move push privacy forward he's just he's an awesome legend facebook buys whatsapp and brian's like okay well it's still okay because you know we have these certain conditions anyway as time goes on he became so unhappy With being part of Facebook, that he had, I can't remember the exact amount, but it's like it was like a hundred million dollars or even more um, in vested options that were about to be vested in like a couple of months. Meaning that like if he had hung around Facebook a couple of months longer, he would have gotten all of this money. He was so unhappy with what they were doing and the amount of data that was being collected in terms of metadata and, and all of that behind the scenes that he left in outrage, wow. Wow. leaving all of those uh, options on the table. Wow. So what does he do? He then goes and joins Moxie Marlinspike, who was the developer of this Open Whisper Systems protocol, and together they form the uh, the Signal Foundation. And so he gives 50, I think it was $50 million dollars um, uh, to the to start the signal foundation and then they they help they build signal together he's the current acting CEO of signal so that's a bit of a backstory about signal awesome like really uh, steadfast privacy advocates behind it I really like what both of them stand for so whatsapp I would not recommend for that reason but also yeah. because there was a leaked document from the FBI that looked at all of the different privacy apps how much metadata was able to be collected about them whatsapp is one of the worst so I wouldn't recommend recommend them. Uh, you can do in- encrypted messages with in Facebook. I just wouldn't trust Facebook. They just have so many like, privacy violations and overreach. Yeah. I wouldn't go near it. A lot of people use Telegram. That's
1: awesome and they telegram. say well
0: telegram yeah. is end-to-end encrypted. It's not end to end encrypted by default. Every message you're starting with someone is in clear text unless you specifically click on their name, click on start secret conversation, wait for them to come online, and then you can start a new chat that is end to end encrypted. A lot of people don't realize this. And I think um, uh, Telegram has done a terrible job because I think they're misleading their consumers if almost every person that i speak to is not aware that they have to go that extra step to set up that encrypted conversation the fact that they don't know that and they think that by merely using telegram they have encrypted communications that is an egregious violation of like of misleading people so Telegram, not in- end-to-end encrypted by default. You have to set it up. End-to-end encryption is not available for group chats. So all of those chats you're in, completely stored in clear text and service oh. in Russia, right? Um, so be careful. There are Telegram bots. There's like malware as a service on Telegram where you can go into these like dodgy Telegram groups and say, I want to target X user and uh, and just pay a few hundred dollars and actually be able to, uh, you know, hack people through the Telegram accounts. A lot of ways that it's insecure. On top of that, they Use their own like home spun encrypted method called MT Proto. And when it first came out, it, you know, encryption experts were looking at it and just like, why are they using exactly. this? Why, why are they not going with
1: proper stuff here? Yeah.
0: yeah, why are they not going with like the standard, tried and true yeah. one? So that was a big red flag for a lot of people when they did that. And also, there's a weird thing where they labeled uh, end-to-end encryption the same name as like transport encryption, which are very different things. So it misleads people where they're like, no, no, it's it's all end-to-end encrypted. It's like, wow. no, no, wow. it uses empty proto, different versions of it. So it's like, it's like, I, there's so many red flags with Telegram. I definitely would not use it if I wanted any semblance of privacy. I, you know, use Telegram for other things and I have it siloed on specific devices. <laughs> um, and I think that's important to to do if you're using things that have a lot of dodgy red flags uh, waving. Um, so yeah.
1: It's really interesting. I mean it's um it's a rabbit hole, isn't it? And I mean do you have time? I wanted to ask you one more thing and and we might have to leave that for another discussion. Um, Android, iOS, uh, is there a phone that you could recommend? Because that seems to be the worst. Phones seem to just leak data.
0: Yeah, uh, I would recommend Graphene OS. Okay. Graphene from security experts, they say that it is the go-to if you actually want real privacy. It's basically like hardened Android. A lot of the security, Features that get added to Android actually come downstream from Graphene OS, which I would phrase as like a security, a, an elite security team that is focused on hardening. Uh, this Android operating system. Their version is called Graphene OS. And then they send their recommendations to Android. Sometimes they implement them, sometimes they don't. Um, so eventually they make their way, some of them make their way to Android. If I were to rank in terms of privacy, I would say, you know, obviously there are lots of other operating systems there, but just between yeah. those three, I would say Graphene, absolutely. iOS, stock iOS is far more secure than stock Android, which I'd put right at the bottom. So for the average person, if you don't want uh, like if you're going to be using your social media apps and you're going to be doing all kinds of things that are tracking you anyway, and you're giving away your location data and you're clicking accept when apps say that they want to find out where you are, then I would say iOS is probably a good option for you. Um, Android, I would say, is way too leaky. Uh, it's yeah. really customizable. But the other side of that is that it's not as locked down as the iOS system. iOS is, is a lot more secure. Um, And they do, Apple does go out of their way to take a lot of the data out of their hands. But I think if you're really privacy conscious, I wouldn't trust Apple to do that. I would go for a system that doesn't take that information in the first place. You know, like, for example, Apple Maps does a lot of stuff to anonymize your data. Google Maps is just ingesting everything you ever do, you know, and asking you to do more things and giving you suggestions and selling you ads and whatnot. Apple uses this technique called fuzzing, where they, like, even... First of all, there are all of these um, random identifiers attached to you, so they can't actually see who's requesting which route. You know, Apple also has, like, privacy tags. They, they do a lot of things that are good for the average person for privacy. Private Relay, great for the average user. If you actually are really interested in privacy, I wouldn't settle for that because they yeah. still transmit way too much um, data, even if it is just in house, even if they don't sell it, I just wouldn't trust them for that. I would go with Graphene OS, which I think is great. Graphene OS is only for Pixel phones. Um, This is because Pixel allows for a thing called secure boot. And so basically a way to show that your operating system is not tampered with all this stuff. A lot of phones don't have that. And so uh, they designed graphene specifically for pixel devices, but you might want to choose um, like Lineage is another operating system that could be used on any Android phone. Um, It can be a lot more difficult to install it's a lot more techy because obviously it's not one phone for one operating system it could yeah. be applicable to any because it gets more fiddly but if you are willing to buy a pixel device uh, or if you have a pixel device I think that graphene is just a really awesome operating system it cuts out all of the uh, bloatware that you would find on a normal you know cheap Android device whether you have like Facebook pre-installed yeah. you have Google Play services and all of that and uh, graphene doesn't have any of that you use things like the f droid store which is an alternative to the google play store you can also use things like um, aurora store which is basically a way for you to use google play services without ever having to access google play services yourself it does it all for you so i i just i found that it's uh, very easy to use and if you're someone who's more concerned about privacy it's a great way to go but again if you're just adding your facebook app onto your phone and your twitter app, all of that anyway i i I don't know what are you really doing like
1: (laughs) you're kind of defeating it aren't you yeah right So one last thing, I know we're running out of time. Do you use cloud services, or would you recommend any cloud service like Dropbox or uh, AWS, Ooh. or is that just another can of worms?
0: Yeah, it's a whole. That's a whole thing that we could uh, get into. So I think that there are very few services that compete with something like Google Drive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The usability just isn't there yet. There are a lot of things that it's just not. You know, they they, they do a great job. Uh, with the the Google Drive apps and all of that. But if you are willing to sacrifice some usability, there are other things that you can use. I would say, first off, don't be using iCloud backup. It's all unencrypted. Apple wanted to encrypt iCloud backup and the FBI fought them on it. And Apple said, okay, and this was like 2019, I think, around 2018, 2019, it was like after the San Bernardino pushback where they were saying, we won't install malware like backdoors on all our devices. The FBI is like, you will, and they had this big fight. A year later, th- that was the time when they were also trying to encrypt iCloud backups. Like a year later, they just pulled the plug on it entirely and just said, okay, well, none of that's encrypted, which is terrible. So I would is, not yeah. be doing that because that's gonna be uploading your WhatsApp um, you know, to your backup. It's gonna be uploading your photos. It's gonna be uploading like everything on your system and it's all unencrypted. So what's the point of having a private phone if it's all just backed up in the cloud, exactly. and anyone can access exactly. it. Uh, Dropbox, again, I wouldn't, I mean, it's that's not um, end-to-end encrypted either. Nope. Dropbox can access all of your stuff. Um, if you're gonna be using uh, like the documents and things built into the online storage, Skiff is actually a really good product, um, which is just like a collaborative document that you can uh, work with someone else on, and it's end-to-end encrypted, Proton actually just released this holistic system where now you can basically have storage, cloud storage that's end-to-end encrypted uh, through them. So that's really great to see them. But they don't yet have Sheets and Docs and all of these you know tools where you can actually populate those documents to begin with. But you can upload pre-made documents uh, in this end-to-end encrypted service. So uh, yeah, that's a new thing. So I'm just still exploring that. I'm doing. I'm currently doing a deep dive into these options. So hopefully. I'll have a video out soon kind of going like into the details of that but that's what I know at the outset and I'd just be very aware that almost every cloud storage system is not going to be anti-encrypted and uh, and just be be wary of them before using them and actually seek out the ones that like the you know Proton or whatever else that are um, that, that's what they do first and foremost that they're privacy focused.
1: I mean there's so much to talk about. I mean <laughs> let's... um. I'll say this: You've got a whole bunch of stuff on your website. Like, for instance, you you show how to ins- how to change the operating system on an Android phone. You talk about each of these in lots and lots of detail. So. Um, if anyone's interested, they can subscribe to YouTube channel. Is there any other places where they can follow you or you know learn more about you, get more information?
0: Well, uh, ironically, I <laughs> I put all of my stuff on some of the least privacy preserving platforms. Like Twitter. There, I feel, yeah, I feel like the people on TikTok are in most need of the privacy services. So I yeah. also have a series of videos I put out there, just little tidbits for people who are like, I don't wanna watch a, a whole two minutes, uh, so yeah. I'll just watch this 30 second clip. So I have stuff there. Um, I, I'm on all of the usual, like Naomi Brockwell on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. Uh, but then I'm on a bunch of alternative platforms too. I'm on a peer to peer video uh, platform uh, called Library. You can visit it through actually the Odyssey website. I was going to so say, you're very O-D-Y- big on Odyssey, aren't you? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I have a big, big platform there, O D Y S E E.com. Um, so I, I love that also because. Just merely by watching videos on there, you can earn money. And by merely you watching my videos, I can earn mon- money. And uh, actually get more income from there than I do from like Google ads and it's less privacy invasive for my viewers as well. So there's a lot of reasons why, uh, why I like people on that platform. I'm also on things like minds.com and read.cash and memo.cash and uh, noise.cash, like all of these other the alternatives. Yeah, for sure, for sure. A lot of alternative platforms out there, Float, for example, you know, a lot of them. Um, but I generally, um, I generally put the same content on most platforms with the exception of, like, the TikToks and all that. But I, I wouldn't encourage you to download TikTok in the first place. So
1: <laughs> the, the problem is, it's, I think you, you said it in the beginning, the problem is it's difficult to, it's a lot of pain, if you like, to really be private. It's a lot of hard work. So I think if I understand right, you've given us a lot of great, easy ways to at least start improving our privacy, like um, like using Brave, um, using Proton uh, VPN. There's a lot of options that aren't that difficult, but at least get us started. Is that right? And then I think we'll, ha- we'll have to get you back for like some extreme privacy stuff, because it sounds like you can really go down the rabbit hole. If you want to be like Edward Snowden, that's like a whole next level of, of oh, work. Gosh. Is that right? Yeah.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. No, I think if you want extreme privacy, the book I'd recommend is by Michael Basil. Yep. Um he's ex law enforcement I believe, and he just has such granular in depth technical understanding. Like he his he works with clients who are high net worth or high profile people that do have people actively attacking them. So he works with them to really lock down what they're doing. And he gives away a lot of those uh, tips in his book. So I recommend that for you know, all the extreme stuff. But you're right. That is what I'm saying. Like. A lot of the ways your privacy is invaded is because we're voluntarily using yep. services that are collecting this data. We're voluntarily opting in when a company says we're taking this and we're selling it to 50 other, you know, people. Oh, that's in a good scenario. We're selling it to 5,000 other companies, right? And what we can do is make more conscious choices about these services we're using. using opt for a better email provider, better search engine, better browser. Start to just substitute, and that reduces the amount of data leakage by drastic amounts just drastic amounts just because you're not of your own volition giving away that data anymore so definitely worth just making these initial steps and it goes a long way
1: I really appreciate it thanks so much for sharing and for everyone watching please go and subscribe to Naomi's channel support her for all the work she's doing because it's not always easy to do this stuff Naomi thanks so much
0: thank you so much for having me I appreciate it